1: All right, everybody, here we go. Welcome to episode number 71 of Sports Cards Live. Today is December the 26th, 2020. I'm Jeremy Lee. And, you know, what a year it's been so far. Before we get into tonight, we do have Dr. Beckett. He is waiting in the back room. I'm going to bring him out in a couple of seconds here. Before we do, I just want to uh, really thank Scott Greenberg, CEO of Starstock, for joining me last Saturday, uh, great show with Scott, learned a lot about Starstock. Check that out. I also want to thank the After Hours guest I had last Saturday, Andy Kaysen. He's the host of the Fantasy Football Card Quest YouTube channel. And we kind of picked up where we left off on Starquest, uh, on Starstock, sorry. And uh, he taught us a lot about that. He's a football expert. I really enjoyed that discussion. Um, next Saturday, Joining me will be Josh Johnson from Card Ladder and from Cardboard Chronicles. That's going to be a great, uh, a great episode as well. And then tonight, so we're going to go for about an hour with Dr. Beckett tonight. And then at uh, an hour and a half later, so at uh, 11.30 Eastern, joining me will be Charles Hind. And we are going to go over some uh, some data sales that he's been tracking before and after the record-breaking Wayne Gretzky PSA 10 sales So that should be interesting as well. Check that out later on. And and by the way, he's 14 years old and uh, he knows his stuff. So I'm excited to have Charles on later tonight. I want to welcome all new viewers. If you're new to the channel, welcome to Sports Cards Live. We're closing in on 1,800 subscribers now. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that. I'd greatly appreciate it. I want to shout out the Hobby Hotline show where I guest hosted this morning. Check that out. It's a live show every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern. I, I'm, a, I'm a guest host. Dr. Beckett is a guest host. Brian Gray is a guest host. This morning I was, I was, uh, I was a guest host and we had Drew Herndon. We had John Newman and we had Brad Bethune. Uh, the four of us were on there. We had a great time. James Hummel called in. Good, good time. Check that out. That should be in the archives on the Hobby Hotline YouTube channel. I also want to make sure you guys all are following on Instagram the Big Three Sports Cards at The Big Three Hockey. These guys showcase some of the finest singles in the hobby. Check them out. Give them a follow on Instagram. They're a supporter of this show, and I greatly appreciate them, and I greatly appreciate if you follow them as well. I want to shout out all the podcast listeners. This show is uploaded on podcast pretty much the day or two after uh, the episode is live. So please do check out the podcast, and if if you want, if you are a listener, I appreciate you as well, and I hope you enjoy listening. As always, tonight, your comments and your questions are in play. We have several comments already. I can see them coming in. Thank you, everybody. So do not be shy. Let's bring out tonight's guest. He really needs no interest. His uh, His name is attached to the hobby. It always will be Dr. Jim Beckett. Welcome to Sports Cards Live again. How are you doing tonight? Thank you, Jeremy. Delight to be here. It, it, it's great to have you. This is the second time you were on my episode number 30. It was a special episode for me. I wanted you to be on number 30. And, uh, uh, you know, this is episode number 71 tonight. So it's been a while, but um, it, it's great to have you back. And uh, I think we're looking forward to kind of going over 2020. We've got you for about an hour. So, I think we should we should really just jump right in. Before we do, before we do, Jim, I'm going to just welcome the guests we have with us so far. And then, I mean, and I'll let everybody know, before we came live, Jim and I, we went through and we sort of went through the list of big events in 2020. So we're going to go through these things, address them. Uh, We just lost Dr. Beckett. Hopefully he'll be right back shortly. I'm sure he will be. So in the meantime... Let's welcome Legion. Legion Nose. Welcome, Legion. You'll notice there's a new uh, a new effect here on um, on StreamYard, where we we actually there he is. He's he's right back. Welcome back, Dr. Beckett. Hit the wrong button. Yeah. So you'll notice there's a new it's a new graphic feature here. We're gonna try it out. Legion, howdy to you. Good good evening as always to see you. Foul five nose. Welcome, foul five. Eric Perry's been looking forward to this all day, as have I. Brad, who joined me on Hobby Hotline this morning, first time live watcher. Good to have you here, Brad. We'll be gentle with you, buddy. Michael Hamm was, uh, was active this morning on Hobby Hotline. Good morning, Michael. B. Roy is here. Awesome. Belated Christmas gift. How's that, Dr. B.? That's very nice to hear. We got Jim's good friend, Rich Klein. Good after- good evening, Jim. Charles is here. And this is Charles, who will be joining me on After Hours later on. Terry Fortune, good evening to you. Al G., good evening to you. Ron is here. Happy holidays to you as well. Excuse me, as well. Paul White, good evening. Ryan's in the house. Good evening, Ryan. Hockey hockey is always good to see you. Tiger Jordan is here. Lee Haskins is here. 90s hockey, good to see you. Mike Truman, glad you're able to join us as well. Brian Kingsley, as always. We got Brian Gray in the house. Glad to listen to one of my role models growing up in Dallas. I've been so blessed to know Dr. Beckett. I hope someday to be in the same class as the good doc. A guy can only help. BG, it's great to have you join us tonight. Sandro, good evening to you. Dominic, good evening. We got Bobby Baseball, Joe Perot. We have Ziggy Palfi has finally made an appearance on the show. John Simone, ACL. Tim Marin, welcome. Ziggy is here. Daniel is here. Texas is here. Wow, everybody's here. Vegas Finds is in the house. Absolute in the house. We got B. We got footy cards. We got anonymous Facebook user. If you are an anonymous Facebook user, guys, I'm going to put it right down at the bottom on the ticker. Go there, and you will no longer be anonymous. We appreciate it. Bobby Baseball, first time watching live. Great to have you. David G., welcome. Dennis is here. Bobby Burrell is in the house. We got Texas Car Dude here as well. All right. Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you all. All right. Jim, what a year 2020 was. There's lots to discuss. I think we have to jump right in, but I'm going to ask you, what in your mind is the number one sort of headline, the number one event uh, that happened in 2020 that you think really sticks out? Well, it would have been Kobe, except
0: that when COVID hit, it, it changed everything. So I'd have to say COVID. COVID. All the implications of the COVID, the, 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 the brief slip and a period of uncertainty for a couple weeks, and then it just took off like a rocket. So a lot of the other things that you and I have talked about, and other people are cont, contemplating basically, I think, came as a result of the COVID, which changed the way we consider sports and consider sports cards.
1: Certainly is. I mean, we we had Kobe, Kobe died January 26th. We saw a run up on his cards and then we saw them settle down. And then we we found out that the last dance was going to air early because of COVID, because of the cancellation of sports. We had the last dance and we saw a run up and we haven't looked back ever since. That that few weeks of uncertainty, as I recall, was sort of the end of very end of March, very beginning, maybe last two weeks of March, first week of April. And since then, the hobby's just gone. It's gone crazy. And all that considering we haven't been to a card. OK, there's been a couple card shows here and there, but we have there was no national for the first time in 30 years. Well, what do you think the impact of that's been?
0: Well, I'd like to. Th- you know, the national organizers would like to think it's a negative impact, but it hadn't had an impact on the hobby at large, but a lot of disappointment. I mean, this is a, a hobby where people really enjoy getting together. And even though social media and other ways to get together virtually, it, it's it nothing beats getting together in person. And so that's a once a year opportunity for me to see people I, I rarely see. And I missed it, But uh, but the show went on and prices marched upward so it's been an amazing year
1: certainly has been along with the the little bit of uncertainty at the end of march beginning of april we also at that exact time saw the beginning of the tops project 2020 which made a big splash we saw we saw card values sort of skyrocket very temporarily they they were very high for a short amount of time and then they kind of came back down to earth when at the outset of that, and when I first started picking up a few cards, I thought to myself, what a wonderful opportunity to bring in art lovers into the hobby, because these 20 artists, they each have pretty much at least 100,000 followers on their socials. And I thought, what a great way to, to expand the hobby. Um, and I, I, I wonder if that happened. Did we did we gain new collectors through the fans of these artists? Or did these artists simply gain more fans through sports cards? Any any insights into that?
0: Uh, All the above, Jeremy. I mean, I think that uh, when that came out, it was fresh. It was new. It did add uh, new collectors. It energized some former collectors and current collectors. And uh, as you're trying to do, I'm trying to do, all these different podcasts and content creators are trying to help people understand this industry. It's a little bit complicated. Uh, And Topps, the Project 2020, it started off kind of slow. And people thought, well, what is this? And then all of a sudden it took off and then people jumped in with more than both feet and then it cooled off again. And so they were on a roller coaster, but that's, that's the new sports card hobby where things move fast. And so they got an education this year that, uh, the, the, the project 2020 was not completely, it didn't get more and more golden as it increased it. There was a peak and then it dropped off a little bit. And, uh, but still, net, net, it was huge news and a big positive for tops.
1: Yeah, no no doubt. I think I think, it, I think it, uh, it it created so much excitement for for so much time. And I guess, you know, again, my hope is that we did capture some new individuals into the hobby through the the followings that these wicked artists did have. I mean, There's some some really, really great artists, and they're young. These are young artists with with plenty of reach.
0: We did. I'm sure we did. And that that really led into some of these uh, other things that we can talk about, Uh, some of the celebrity interest and uh, mainstream interest. I mean, that that fed into that because it wasn't about uh, world record prices. It was about uh, taking a a very high-end and classy way to take what most people thought was kind of the old-fashioned baseball card and modernized it with these artists who were super creative. And uh, I, I, thought, I thought it was very impressive.
1: Yeah, no, so did I. So did I. And I, I know a lot of people did. We had a good chat about it this morning as well on Hobby Hotline. I don't know if you got a chance to tune in or listen to that, but uh, we spent about half an hour on it this morning. And yeah, it, Project 2020, you know, aptly named something that we will definitely associate with, uh, with the year 2020, as the years go by, among many other things. So you just mentioned the sort of celebrity involvement. Um, l- let's talk about that a little bit. Maybe we should start by talking about Starstock. You know, it's a new platform, a new buying and selling platform. It focuses on rookie cards, mostly the commodity type of rookie cards. So it's not quite as broad it, it's it's not it's not a a, a com c if you will where com c holds all the cards under the sun starstock has a very specific uh portfolio of cards that they offer but they've made a splash they're all over social media there's a lot of big fans and they've they've had investment now from two uh pretty big names in the hobby one athlete one social media influencer or his brother um you know so we're talking about kevin durant and aj vaynerchuk brother to gary vaynerchuk what do you think? Of, what do you think of that? How how important was it that Starstock number one announced the the, the capital raise, but also announced who the who the big contributors were and and uh, their celebrity status?
0: That's the way the world works now. It's 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 uh, in social media. You need something that's uh, worthy of going viral and 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 getting some buzz. And so, certainly, those investors got the attention of a, of a wide stream and it got, got mainstream attention. My curious thought though, Jeremy, about star stock is that, do you think they wish they would have launched in uh, the year before? Because there was so much stuff going on this year and they jumped out and they had an exciting new platform, but there was an awful lot of stuff going on. Now, rookie cards have always been strong and they have been exceptionally strong this year, but, but uh, so this infusion of, of, uh, of capital that was uh, earlier this month, I guess, was uh, I think was refreshing, it was further affirmation that our category is not just hot, but it, it, it's future hot as people are voting with their dollars for the infrastructure of our hobby. So, yeah, I, I think it's a big positive and I, I hope they do well.
1: And it's not just them. Uh, so we're going to have to talk about fractional ownership companies and sort of the the uprising of them in our hobby. But your question about do you think Starstock wished they launched in 2019? Yeah, I think they. I, I think they did. I believe their official launch was November 2019. But it you know takes some time to get their feet under them. But yeah, if they could have launched a year before, I think they would have uh, benefited from the year that that just was for sure. Um, fractional ownership companies, we've seen these guys also sort of appear and um, and and in a way, in a way, um, I don't say take control of the hobby, but uh, but really grab the hobby's attention in 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 a ferocious sort of manner. And we talk about celebrity involvement. I know that the fractional ownership company Collectible, whose CEO was on this show a few months ago, they've got involvement with Emmett Smith, another big name. Uh, who's involved? I believe from um, a marketing perspective, maybe even an, an investment perspective. So, like you said, it's the way of the world right now, and um, the way of the hobby, I suppose. And uh, th- that's definitely another another. I-, I like to see Jim. I like to see athletes being involved because their social reach is humongous, and if their if their fans see these guys involved in sports cards, I can see that helping our hobby go really mainstream to a point where every sports fan who has some extra money is collecting cards. Can you see us getting there?
0: I think the tip of the iceberg with these uh, fractional situations, I mean, there's no, there's no bounds to it. It, it, if it really catches on my, my curious concern here is the branding of these entities. There's new groups coming in and they don't have to have deep pockets they just have to have a lot of friends. <laughs> they have to have when they announce that they're uh, putting uh, some high end collectible into their system, they, they, they've got to sell it out. And that seems to be not the problem. So a year from now, when we're looking at five or six of these fractional groups, uh, what's going to recommend one over the other, other than the, the items? You know, I don't know that you're going to be loyal to a fractional group as much as you're going to be looking to participate in the next Wagner or the next Mickey Mantle, uh, 52 Tops, uh, you know, nine grade. So I don't brand it, but I think it's something that's here to stay. And the bigger ones are going to be successful because they can spread out their their uh, overhead and and, uh, have a lot more marketing muscle. So I, I think it's an exciting development. In fact, I think it might be the, you know, grading was, a, was an exciting development uh, 25 years ago. Uh, breaking, uh, I, I guess, been around more than 10 years was, was a major game changer. I think fractional, I mean, we wouldn't be seeing all these million-dollar cards. We wouldn't be seeing these multi-thousand-dollar cases if it weren't for, if it wasn't for breaking. So I think it's a game changer.
1: Yeah, I I do, too. And you know what? The fact that we think it's a game changer, I think it's been confirmed now because, well, it's an indication that it's going to be confirmed or that that's the direction we're going in. Because I just saw, I believe it's Rally, just put out a, a piece that uh, they are going to soon be offering a PSA 10 Wayne Gretzky Tops card on their platform. Ooh. Well, as we know, a PSA one of the two just sold at Heritage Auctions earlier this month for $720,000. And now that I, I believe it's the exact same card is now being offered by rally. So now we, we know who bought the card and we know it's a fractional and that like you just said, we wouldn't be seeing these, these million dollar cards, these, these, the, the, the very expensive cases, if it weren't for breaking and fractionals, here we go. They're, uh, they're the ones that are bringing the, the top Gretzky to market. What do you think of that?
0: Okay. So your rally, cause I mean, I think like an entrepreneur, I think like I, like I, uh, <laughs> Like in the old days when I had some clout, but uh, basically, if I'm rally, do I put that Gretzky card out at a million bucks? I bought it for seven twenty, and I'm going to fractionalize it at a million. And I think people are going to are going to say I'm never going to spend a seven hundred twenty thousand dollars or more now if that's the established uh, price. And I think it's it's an impossible card. There's there a couple.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is impossible. But but now, when they take it to their market, everybody is going to be able. To, well, everybody in the United States that has a social security number is going to be able to own a piece of it. Now you're not going to be able to hold it. You're not going to be able to have it in your house. Show it to your friends, but you're going to be able to know in your own mind and maybe tell your friends that hey, I own one one thousandth or whatever it is of this cart. What do you? What What are your thoughts on that? Because there's been a lot of discussion. A lot of critique on the fractional ownership model, people saying that, hey, I collect cards. I don't collect uh, a percentage of a card on, on, on my screen. I want to hold the cards in my hand. And then there's the other faction that says, well, that's how I want to invest. That's how I want to get into the sports card game because I don't I'm not a collector. I can't be bothered with eBay, with other buying and selling platforms. I just want to do this. It's an investment to me. And then there's people in the middle like myself I collect cards, I'll never stop, but I'm also willing to throw a few hundred bucks at fractional if I was allowed to. I can't, I'm, I'm north of the border and uh, and just own, own small fractions of these cards, which I would be completely okay with. I mean, so it comes down to uh, adoption and acceptance by the hobby as it is right now. Do you think there's gonna be, hmm, uh, it's funny, I say, do you think there's gonna be resistance? It's like, but who cares? These things sell out in minutes or hours anyway. But do you think the hobby will ever, or how long do you think it'll take for the hobby to accept the fractionals as just a a part of the hobby?
0: Okay. Here's the interesting sociological experiment that we have now. If that is the same card, then Jeremy, are you interested in owning a hundred, a 1% of that card for Uh, $7,200? Okay. But they're going to, they have to price it more than that because they're in business. So, if Rally has it, they're going to sell let's say let's and that would be a thin margin, I think if they said you can buy uh, one tenth of one percent for eight hundred bucks, one percent for eight thousand a hundred percent would then then be eight hundred thousand so then people are going to do that math and say, "No, wait a minute, I could have bought it for seven twenty, but now it's being resold immediately and packaged as an 800,000, 900,000, million dollar item. And uh, so I think wealthy people are going to do that math and say, you know, I just say there's, it's, it's like arbitrage, you know, you, you go back and forth and say, what, what seat do I want to be in in this, in this rodeo? Yeah. So, but again, I net net, it's fabulous because it's more options uh, and especially on the high end stuff that people, you know, once you get above a hundred thousand you get about ten thousand dollars. It's beyond ninety nine percent of the people's uh, uh, budget.
1: Yeah, no, for, for sure, for sure. You know, first of all, I, I think it coming like rally. They buy a card like that for seven twenty. Any fractional, you buy a card. they're I believe they're entitled to a lift on it before they fractionalize it. For sure. I mean, that happened. You know, everybody. You but know, visible.
0: It will be visible. People can do the math. Whereas these other cards that they put in, you don't know what they got them for. You know, the collectible group, they've they've made this deal with Sports Immortals, the Platts, and uh, we d- we don't know what the basis is. This is the first time we can say, OK, that's the same card. This is how that works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, fair. And I think it's good that we have transparency in that now, you know, where they're taking cards from private collectors and bringing them in. I mean, then all you really have are comps and hopefully you have comps and they have based them on fair comps, taking a lift, a fair lift and moved on from there. This Gretzky card, obviously we know where it came from. You know, you you mentioned would I want to own 1% of this card for $7,200 or $8,000 or whatever it is. You know, the thing is, is that I I believe, you know, you're always going to get a better deal when you buy in bulk. Buying in bulk in this case was buying the card all at once. If you want to, if you're going to take one piece of it, you're going to pay a bit more because that's just the way that we, you always get a deal when, when you buy something in bulk. And that's what buying a card, 100% of a card would now be bulk for that particular card if it's a card that would be a candidate of fractional ownership. So, I mean, but what do you think, Jim? You've been in the hobby a very long time. You know you know a ton of collectors. Um, do, you, do you think that collectors are going to just sort of accept it and say, hey, it's a part of the hobby now and it's driving a lot of the values in the hobby. Are, are we going to be OK with it as a hobby?
0: Well, I mean, you see what is happening, the trends in the industry, there's another trend and that's toward these vaults, which is the kind of the cousin of the fractional. It's owning something without without possessing it. So whether you own 1% of it or 100% of it, if you can't show it to somebody because it's in a vault somewhere else, then what does it matter? Uh, But you'd have the digital representation. You can say, hey, I own this or I own 1% of this. So I think that ship, I think, is sailed. I think we live in a virtual world where people show their, their, uh, their collections and their collections can include stuff that is at the bank. I mean, I have some nice cards that are in a bank vault. You know, I know a lot of guys that have that. Well, I mean, but I can go get it, but it's a little bit of a headache to go get it, but it's not out of state. So, yeah, I think the fractional, the vaults, all that stuff, people have realized that that, um, you know, that these are assets worth protecting. And uh, as such, they're going to be treated like, you know, some people have fine jewelry that's that's kept uh, in a safe deposit box and only brought out or, or in a safe and only brought out when um, when you need it. But yeah,
1: yeah, and I think I think I I'm I'm leaning the same way. The world is changing. The world has changed dramatically in 2020, and the hobby. You know, it's like keep up. We got to keep up, and uh, this is a part of it. It's just it's it's part of the evolution of the hobby, and it isn't necessarily a new thing. There have been people investing uh, together in in buckets of sports cards for many years. This has just been uh, formalized uh, under a semi I would say semi regulated. Um, Sort of uh, environment, and uh, and hopefully it it it's it. Hopefully, these guys that are in chart that are running these companies are going to do a, a bang up job on it and keep the integrity uh, at that level of the hobby. I think we need it there because well, that's it's these cards that are making headlines.
0: That's the branding that matters. Is that if, you, if it, because all these fractional companies are probably not created equal, and hopefully they're all extremely reputable and have deep enough pockets to. whether cash outs or, or, you know, things that would happen, but that would be the first uh, distinguishing factor is if a, if a, if a fractional group was under under underfinanced, that, that wouldn't be good. So I want somebody that's got a lot of cards, deep pockets, uh, a lot of staying power. And if that, if the power, that's why the bigger brands can, uh, but it, it could be within our industry or out in other industries. I mean, other industries are interested now in in uh, not just hockey or basketball or baseball or football, but anything. Pokemon.
1: That's very true. Very true. Even Pokemon had a resurgence in 2020 with a lot of a lot of social media activity. Logan Paul and uh, Logic and all these things. So yeah, it was quite yeah. big for Pokemon. So we had some big, big. Record breaking sales of modern cards. You know, I know there's a Honus Wagner PSA three. I think just sold for the high in the high three millions, or maybe it was the low three millions. But worth of three seven US three seven yeah three seven US. Yes, I mean that's I believe the most ever paid for the Honus Wagner, even more than the, the the PSA five miscut jumbo that sold a few years ago, I believe, at Heritage. But we saw in earlier this year, like it, you know, I want to say <laughs> it seems like so long ago now. But this was, I believe, in June or July. We had the sale of the LeBron James uh, exquisite gold RPA out of twenty-three, sold for one point eight something, one point eight four million dollars, the most ever spent on a modern card sold by uh, Ken Golden and Golden Auctions. And then shortly thereafter, he sold the Trout Superfractor for a three point eight something. And then the and then the the Giannis logo man one of one for one point nine just just north of one point nine million some really really big sales if we're recapping twenty twenty Jim two things first is were you surprised by these sales and number two how do you think that impacts the hobby
0: well anybody that says they weren't surprised I, don't know. I mean of course I was surprised anybody should be surprised and that's why they. They garnered big-time headlines, and not just in the hobby press. And, you know, that, that that was headline news. A world record prices, hundreds of percent greater than 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 the previous uh, records. So, yeah, I I am surprised, and I don't know that it's uh, well. The rate of increase is clearly not sustainable, but where it goes from here is is uncertain. Is is that a is there a plateau? I mean, again the. The comparison that people want to do, they always want to do the the most favorable comparison. Well, if that's worth this much, well, then I can spend this much for another card. But again, there's other alternatives besides buying cards. There's buying houses. There's buying fabulous cars. There's buying you know. So we're talking about real money here, and uh, it's a different category of collector now. And they're in, and they're excited about accumulating uh, really rare and uh, and and very desirable items.
1: A fellow uh, collector, a uh, hobbyist uh, by the name of Rod Booth, he he posted on Facebook the other day that he just picked up an like a, a vintage uh, Corvette, really beautiful vehicle. And uh, my comment was, "But think about the cards you could have had <laughs> instead of a." You mentioned you could buy a house, you could buy a fancy vehicle. A lot of us are buying cards, and a lot a lot of people with the values that their cards have have begun to reflect recently. You know, you could sell several cards uh, and own a vehicle. And I, I don't know that people are, many people are doing that right now. I don't know that they're not doing it, but I don't know many, I haven't heard anybody tell me I'm selling a card to buy a vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if, that, if that's happening.
0: So, uh, what they're doing, and you mentioned Adam Gray, Adam is, I think one of the masters of this and, and a bunch of other people are doing this is that they're, they are uh, buying cards, but it's not to get the Corvette, <laughs> (laughs) it's, it's to trade up to get the better card and then to trade up to get the better card. And so basically they're improving their collection, uh, getting rare and more expensive stuff along the way. The end game, I don't think it's to buy a house. The end game is to have a better and better collection. And so I admire that. I think that's great. But at some point the wife, or the, or the, or the family member is going to say, you know, you got a lot of value there. We need something else uh, that that would be more uh, pertinent to uh, our daily life. Could you, could you sell something?
1: Yeah, no, for for sure. And that's the nice thing about big, big bucks. Yeah. It's the nice thing about our our collections, our sports cards is that uh, they, they carry value and they're, they're, they're quite liquid relative to other sorts of investments. You know, they're, they're not, you know, you do need to go through the process of sending them to a consigner or listing them on eBay yourself or sending them to an auction house, but you do, they are, they are quite liquid. You can convert your cards to cash in you know, 30 days type of thing without much, much hassle. So, um, and, and that's what it's not. It's a nice store of value. And if you do want to convert it into your living expenses, you can do that.
0: It's not just that they're, they're so liquid. It's better than cash. <laughs> have a rare card that somebody wants you you know, you can trade it, you know, so favorably, even better than cash. That's,
1: yeah.
0: Those days were that's the way it was 40 years ago, 45 years ago in the early days of the hobby. You know, they didn't want your money. They wanted your 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 cards.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's it's sort of a new frontier. We're in here where these cards are worth so much now, you know, we saw those sales uh, at at golden auctions earlier this year. We've seen some au- big auctions at Heritage among other auction companies. And we've seen, you know, it's been a, a famous saying lately, uh, rising tide floats all boats. And we've seen that really trickle down to a lot of the other cards in the hobby. You know, while the top end Michael Jordans are selling for, for tons of money, you know, 60, 70, $100,000. I'm not talking about his rookie. I'm talking about these rare 90s inserts. We're also seeing some of the more common... Michael Jordan cards that were $500 a year ago are now $5,000. So we we're seeing a lot of that. And I think a lot of people are feeling priced out cards that have been on their want list for five or 10 years are now just out of range for so many people, if not most people. What do you think that the impact of that is on the hobby in the long run? Is it, is it good, bad, or kind of just like it's in the middle, you know, it just, it is what it is. What, What are your thoughts on that?
0: For most of my hobby life, people have lamented they wish they'd gotten in earlier. <laughs> I wish I'd gotten in earlier uh, because there's a, there's, I mean, there've been some hiccups, but generally prices have marched up. And so you're wishing you got in a couple of years ago and you bought this stuff. So that's, that's just the mindset of the collector. But uh, you know, at the risk of being a little bit negative here, the, the rising tide raising all boats, that, that's not what the global warming people say. They say the rising tide, Tide is going to flood the villages. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Going to overwhelm, and so we there. You you don't want the tide to rise too fast. That, that's that's my, you know, my uh, voice of experience or being a uh, the, uh, a little bit of a sage in the industry is things don't need to go up. They don't need to double every three months. They they could if they double in three years. That's terrific in the stock market. That's yeah. that great for private equity.
1: Yeah, the rise has been it's been uh, very
0: sustainable, unsustainable,
1: hundred percent unsustainable. 100%, you know,
0: uns, unsustainable. So rising tide, sort of good. Too much of a rising tide is a flood, is a yeah. tsunami that comes onto you. It's not like riding a surfboard; it's coming at you.
1: No, I, I agree. I think I think what I look forward to, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about. Look, Looking forward to follow up, but I am looking forward to a bit of a stabilization. I do think that we do we do need it in the hobby, and it'll be it'll it, we need to level off a little bit. We can't double and we can't have cards doubling in value every like you said every three months or, or quicker, which we've seen. Um, let's talk about the Wayne Gretzky PSA tens. We had the Opeachy and the Tops that both sold earlier this month. Uh, they were sold by Heritage Auctions and it's the first hockey card to sell for over a million dollars. The Opeechee PSA 10 population of two sold for 1.29 million US dollars, I believe was the number. I mean, you know, as a, I'm, I'm predominantly a hockey guy, I do collect all four sports uh, and some of the other sports as well. But I was really pleased to see a hockey card uh, surpass the $1 million mark. I think that was important for the for the hockey segment within the overall hobby I mean, hockey is sometimes forgotten about. A lot of even Starstock doesn't—they carry baseball, football, basketball, soccer. They don't even have hockey yet. Uh, a lot of people you hear them mention baseball, so, baseball, football, basketball. Hockey's not mentioned. Do you think that the sale of the Gretzky PSA ten for that kind of money is going to help put hockey on the map a little bit more uh, across the whole hobby?
0: Absolutely. I mean, we we had a you and I had an extended conversation on Hobby Hotline a few weeks ago and went back and forth. And I think I, 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 you know, you kind of, we kind of push back on each other's uh, conclusions, but we're iterating toward a better understanding of those two cards. But I think we agree. Those are two really tough cards. And if, some, if I went to somebody's house and they said, hey, let me show you some of my hockey cards, if they, if they even had an eight, much less a nine, much less one of the two tens, I would be blown away. Those are extremely tough. And uh, and so legit as centerpieces of somebody's collection, whether in Canada or or wherever. So th- those are those are fabulous cards that are condition rarities, such that uh, you know compared to some of these other things that are. Well, there's not a long list of what were you saying that the Gretzky Opechi uh, was uh, was the eighth uh, most expensive card uh, that's ever worthy. sold. That's worthy ever sold. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, and that that's not the eighth highest auction hammer ever because you know we've had multiple Honuses, multiple Mic- Mickey's, that sort of thing. But yeah, that's bit, that was my understanding uh, the eighth highest sold. I, I don't think it was me that said that, but I, I did hear that as well. But,
0: but hockey is there. There are a lot of hockey cards uh, uh, collectors out there, and uh, I'm not saying there there are more than football or baseball or or basketball, but they're at least as passionate. Yeah, so why shouldn't they have their best card being right up there?
1: I agree. I, I'm really, I'm really excited by it. I think it, it bodes well. We've already seen other, other Gretzky's and other really important hockey players' values uh, really rise quite nicely. Mario Lemieux has been the a, a major beneficiary of that lately. So it's nice to see some respect uh, coming to hockey, and maybe we'll see. Uh, people included in when they speak of big four or maybe big five now with the the uprising of soccer also in 2020 Uh, soccer really seems to have uh, grabbed the hobby's attention and uh, I think it's a wonderful thing it's an international sport maybe the most popular sport in the world and so it was only a matter of time there Uh, anything to add about soccer
0: well there's there's a You know, we've mentioned liquidity. There's also kind of velocity, kind of the velocity of sales. Then the other thing I'm thinking about is kind of adjacency, is that there are so many uh, near, you know, kind of alternative kind of choices that in this hobby, when you go after something, oh, that's getting expensive. There's something else that's very similar to it that may not have gone up yet. And so you can sell things quickly. You uh, You can get money out of them. And there's if you've got a bunch of money and you want to get something cool about a player if you study it you're liable to find something that hasn't gone up yet instead of tracking for the card that that's world record price already find the one that's not a world record price
1: Yeah. Yeah. OK, let's let's switch gears a little bit. You mentioned Adam Gray a few minutes ago. I want, I, and, you know, Adam Gray, a uh, friend of mine, the real 27 guy on Instagram has uh, created a new magazine for the hobby called the Basketball Card Fanatic. It's a subscription based magazine. And it's I, I, I lead with that because we've seen an uprising in hobby content. This this show myself on YouTube and, and Facebook, Twitter, I didn't exist in this in, in this uh, virtual world uh, with my face. A year ago, I do now, as of 2020, we've seen the uprising of hobby content, live shows, YouTube, Instagram is blown up as a major place for the hobby to congregate. How has that uh, sort sort of how do you see that impacting the hobby? Do you like, you know, we didn't have card shows all year, but people are gathering. They're gathering virtually now. Do you think that the do you think that this new virtual hobby world is It's kind of a silly question. I'll ask it anyway to get you talking. Do you think it's sort of the way of the future now to have the the virtual world, virtual shows, virtual conferences, live shows like this, celebrity guests, hobby icons like yourself, joining a guy like me on here, talking hobby. Uh, Adam Gray's Magazine, he's got some great subscription, uh, great subscriber base. I recommend to everybody to check it out. It's called Basketball Card Fanatic. We've also seen the rise of, of data tools, We've got, we've got a couple, uh, I know I'm very familiar with, with Card Ladder. I, I, I'm a user. I've heard of Market Movers, which is uh, from Sports Card Investor, Mark, uh, whereas um, Card Ladder is from Chris McGill from House of Jordans and Josh Johnson from Cardwork Chronicles. I believe Slab Stocks, I think they're called, they have a maybe a tool coming out. I mean, we've had the uprising of virtual online uh, data analytical tools, uh, new on new virtual magazine type of things what, what do you think of all this and and what do you think of it from the perspective of somebody who uh sort of created the the price guide publication uh game in, in the hobby i won't say create i know there are people before you but someone who really brought it to, to well, what uh, Beck it became
0: I, I built an audience uh the first few years i i gave away uh the, the price information i had price surveys they were distributed nationally so i kind of built my reputation for a few years giving it away. But then, you know, when it became a a, a full magazine every month, I was selling it. And so I was selling information. It was curated information. Well, now, if you fast forward to 2020, moving into 2021, content, information, even curated content, curated information, for the most part is free. Adam, you know, the discussions I had with Adam are, you know, but his content is so good that, People are willing to pay for it, but it's gotta be really good for people to want to pay for it because there's so much free stuff. How much are you charging your, um, your viewers or listeners for the, for this podcast? Zero. My podcast is free, you know, so it's hard to compete against free, (laughs) but the challenge is since there's so much free stuff out there and it is sort of curated, but it's curated by the person that collectors, that want to get in the know have to have more than one source. It's kind of like only watching one channel for your news. Uh, You need to sift through it and figure out, you know, who you want to listen to and who's the most trustworthy. And so you're having a bunch of guests and people get the benefit of hearing, hearing from them. And so I, on balance, it's a great thing, but with so much free information out there, you've, you've got to be able to, have some discernment and some of that from from being in the past and some of it's from being uh, up to the minute of what's going on.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And I, I, I think it, I like how you said, you know, you need to discern who, who you can trust because there are a lot of people out there that have their YouTube channels that have their Instagram accounts, their Facebook groups, whatever it is. And there are shady characters in our hobby. There's just no doubt about it. And there are people that maybe. Uh, batting above their average, if you will, when it comes to some of the knowledge that they're putting out there, that sort of thing. So uh, I think, you know, I think most people will, will will land on where they want to land on the people that they that they feel are providing them good value in the hobby, whether whether they're paying for it, or it's free, like, like this is sort of thing. Um, okay, you know, before we talk about the what is really the biggest news, in my opinion of the year, I do want to talk about what I've called uh, the retail extravaganza. When by that, what I mean by that is that there's this big issue, and I'm not a guy who buys sports cards at retail, but I I talk to a lot of people that do, and there's a whole problem it seems like within the distribution channels of our hobby, in terms of people just can't get the product. I know in Canada you can't you can't the 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 local card shops up here are very um, they're sad I would say that they can't get Panini basketball. They got people coming in asking for it. They just can't get it, or they they can get a very limited allocation of it. And then at the retail level, at the big box stores in the U.S., you you we hear people jumping on each other, camping out early, waiting for the for the stalkers to come stock the shelves. You know, is this? And I'm we talked about it this morning on Hobby Hotline. And I'm a little I'm not sure. Is it good for the hobby that there's such a rush for these products? Is it bad that there's not enough product? Is it good that there's not enough product? Because if there is, we'd see more we'd see higher print runs, or is it bad that people are buying it, uh, hoarding it at the at the store and flipping it on eBay for eight times what they're paying for it? I mean, you can go back and forth. Is it good? Is it bad? Do you have any thoughts on the distribution channels that we've, or the, the flaws within the distribution channels in 2020?
0: They're flaws. I mean, basically what's going to happen is there are going to be some changes going forward. They're going to increase the price, or they're going to tighten up uh, some of the rules for some of these mass retailers, but what's happening now? Th- there's an ebb and flow, and so they've got to figure out new packaging or, or like I say, increasing the price doesn't seem to be the answer. And you can't really control. Hey, you can't you can't mark this up above a certain amount. It's you know we live in a free world, but uh, they're going to change. They're going to change. It. So they're going to raise the price. Probably I think they have to raise the price. Because so, my problem is twofold. Because I don't have a problem with the shelves being empty if they're being bought by collectors, but I don't like it if they don't ever, if they don't ever make it to the shelves. You know, uh, under the table deals. I don't like that, and I don't like it when people that don't know anything about the hobby can clean something out and triple their money. I mean, that's and and that's been happening. So the card companies are going to have to raise their prices. Or, or change their packaging in some way, and it's probably gonna price out some people that were casual buyers. Um, so again, it's the better problem to have than than what we had thirty years ago where there were mountains and stacks of of unopened stuff that was stale. There's nothing if something's stale on the retail shel- shelves now, it's it's a dog. It's bad, yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah. You know, interesting stuff. And I got to just mention to all the viewers right now, everybody, I do apologize. I have not been keeping up with the comments since I I welcomed everybody earlier on in the episode. We are on limited time with the good doctor this evening. So we got about another 12, 13 minutes with him. Um, So I do want to get to, again, what I believe is the biggest news of the year but in the meantime, I just want to mention everybody, thanks for joining. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel, please do. Dr. Beckett will be joining me back here two weeks today for part two of this discussion. So be sure to subscribe to the channel, you know, hit that like and all those wonderful things that us uh, guys with shows on YouTube like to ask you to do. I greatly appreciate it, especially seeing the subscri- the subscription level uh, build up. So please subscribe if you don't mind. Thank you very much. Okay. Jim, the biggest news in the hobby this year, in my opinion, I was going to make a joke, but I can't think of one, relates to grading. And the fact that, um, as, as you said earlier, you know, grading changed the hobby in the late 90s, 2000s, and then breaking changed again in 2010. Fractional seems to break it this year. It's like every 10 years, something breaks into the hobby and changes it. Grading. Is, has been you know the number the 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 biggest the biggest uh, brand out there for a while i believe has been Psa if you just look at market share and i know you have your your name is on the biggest other competitor to that so i say that somewhat uh a little nervously but <laughs> Psa seems to be the the big one in, in in the industry right now and uh they are going private it seems they're going private in the new year with uh, by an investor group led by collector private collector nat Turner who seems to have, you know, seems to me to be the right guy for the job. What, what do you think this means? Like 2020, we're gonna remember Project 2020, we're gonna remember COVID. We're gonna, I think we're gonna remember these big record-breaking sales at Heritage and Golden. And I think we're gonna remember that PSA went private and went private headed up by Nat Turner. What do you think the legacy of this transaction is gonna be? And do you think it helps the, the Grading industry moving forward.
0: I'm going to try to answer this in a fresh way, Jeremy, because we talked about this last month on our on the hobby hotline a little bit. But basically, it's totally positive to me that uh, that Nat Turner is leading a group to, to 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 buy the company. You know, the the privatization is another is another aspect, and I the, the only fresh thought I had about that is that. I think it's really good for this this industry to have a public company that can be a bellwether for how well the, the industry is doing. So I do think I'm going to miss that, that Wall Street uh, is not going to be able to track that PSA was really doing great this year. They're going to be private, I mean, if, if this sale goes through. And so I miss that because it's it was it was an indication of the robust health of our of our industry. Um, but you know, when you want to get headlines in the, the, in the wall street journal, $700 million is a, is a bigger headline than 3.9 million or any of these other prices for individual cards. I mean, it's, it's investors betting on the infrastructure of our industry. And that's, that's, uh, I think it's terrific. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Nat and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Joe Orlando still uh, what's going to happen with the new energy and some innovation within, uh, within PSA. And, and again, you're rising tide raising all boats. Uh, there's going to be uh, increased interest in grading. I think, uh, BGS hopefully is going to pick up some of that. I'm not, uh, financially financially, inter- I have no financial interest in that, but I- anymore, but, uh, but again, if, if, if the rising tide rises, I, I, I think BGS will be ready to, uh, to, to get more business as the category keeps getting bigger.
1: The hobby has had issues with grading and grading companies for quite some time now with the change of leadership, the upcoming change of leadership uh, at PSA and i've heard a lot of people say i've heard this is going to happen that's going to happen i mean you're you're you can't have heard anything that's going to happen these guys haven't haven't taken over yet so whatever might happen we you're just it's all hearsay at this point is my i would have to think i'm not in there also hearing what's what is isn't being said so i could be wrong but with you know the hobby having issues with grading and grading companies for so long what do you i mean what change do you want to see happen that would Instill confidence in the greater hobby in the grading companies again. Take it taking it back to the beginning of the time of time in grading when the, the, the trust just seemed to be there by default because these guys were and you were there at the time. You created Beckett Grading Services at the time. What do you want to see?
0: Well, we tried to do something that was slightly different. We weren't trying to be a copycat service. We wanted to innovate and do some things that uh, not that PSA was doing anything wrong. We just thought we're going to come at it a little bit different. We had a different kind of a holder. We had the inner sleeve. We had the, uh, the report card. Uh, we had a different kind of pricing and, and bulk uh, uh, pricing model. So we were doing some things different. And, and, and so many of the people said, we, we like your model. And many of the people said, no, we, we still like PSA. And then SGC had had their, uh, their fans as well. Here's what I'd like to see going forward that I think has a chance is uh, the grading companies are, they all of them have a tough job, but if they were to work together more, again, not collusion and not uh, anything like that, but Nat Turner is a former big customer of BGS. And so he's very aware of, of what happens there. If there was a sharing of uh of of the information on some of the bad cards, bad actors, uh, not necessarily best practices, almost like sharing worst practices (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. that we'd help clean up the industry. Again, that's good for everybody. So if, if, if I were there, and again, you can't be the the judge and the jury and the, and the executioner uh, or, or you can get a lawsuit, Mm -hmm. but if somebody submits bad cards you know, I, I was actually talking to the BGS grading guys, and they they said they got a questionable thing that I that that I might know something about. And I said, "Well, is this person a regular submitter?" And no, they've never submitted to us. I said, "Well, well, what do you think? You know, I mean, if if this is a rare card that's qu- has questionable authenticity, you know, why are they sending it? And it's old and it's weathered." I said I don't even need to look at it. I mean, I, I'm going I'm, gonna, I have a negative thought right now. If it's not one of your bulk submitters that you built up some trust with, so if if that was communicated to PSA and SGC and even CSG, uh, you know that the that the industry worked together because it damages all of them. If BGS has a problem, it it reflects poorly on PSA and vice versa. So I'd like to, and I and I think there's a chance with Nat Turner again. For, I call it co-opetition. There's a book written about it. You compete where you have to compete, but you cooperate where you can cooperate. And again, that that's a rising tide raising all boats. That would that would be great for our industry. We need to weed out some of the bad bad actors.
1: You know, man, I, I love it. I love it because you just gave us something a real great nugget there. What and, and to summarize knowledge sharing amongst the, the the big grading companies the the PSA the the Beckett grading services SGC CSG get these guys talking to each other sharing knowledge where they can for the benefit of the hobby I think that would instill a lot of trust in a lot of the hobby and would rise the the tithe, rise all those ships I think that's a uh, man. I'm, that, that that right there—that's the nugget for me for this whole episode right now. So,
0: it, 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 but but Jeremy, it's probably a crawl before you walk, before you run. I'd like to see steps in that direction. I mean, I I don't have any clout anymore. I just I'm this old guy that's saying, "Here's what I'd what I'd love to see." But if 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 some of the people took it to heart, I think it'd be a net, again net positive for our industry that we'd have less bad stuff out there. Same would go for for Steve Grad and. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Spence and all the different uh, and, and PSA DNA that the autograph authenticators would would work together again, not work together is too strong of a word, but that there, there there'd be a collegial, uh, you know, if there's yeah, just just a little bit of cooperation.
1: Yeah. And I agree. You know, let's walk before you run and, but let's evolve and get to that point. Uh, eventually at least work towards it. Like, I don't, uh, I don't think we're going to see that co-op, uh, co happening, uh, right away. But yeah, I, I think that's something that we can definitely strive for and, and, uh, you know, keep make our voices heard as a hobby that that's what we'd like to see. And if, you know, like you said, um, it would it would benefit everybody i have to think it would benefit everybody we are un, we're, it's unregulated this hobby's unregulated so we need the the power players to do their best to protect the future of our hobby i believe okay listen i mean we've we've uh, we're we're just about at the hour mark so before i let you go i just want to i want to show you something here i'm going to share my screen briefly this is a one of my most recent uh, card pickups jim here it comes so this uh, is uh, the, uh, uh, you're the one that bought that. I'm why did I buy it from you? <laughs> <laughs> I just picked this up yesterday or the day before on Com C it's a 1992 top stadium of stars. Jim Beckett, the third BGS. Uh,
0: I, I certainly was the original owner that that's, that's my, it's kind of my tops rookie card.
1: Is this, this is your, this particular copy. It's yeah, a true it's gem. Time.
0: Yeah, yes. I mean, come on. It was uh, it was, uh, it was uh, made in '92. They made there's a whole sheet of of uh, a bunch of guys in it. Yeah. So, in fact, I, I have an episode coming out on on that with a guy that's trying to get the set uh, and a bunch of my teammates. Rich Klein has one. Uh So yeah, they each guy that was in the set uh, tops made a big sheet, cut them up, and each guy got 500 cards, and so. Uh, You know, I've released some of them. And so some people have put them out on ComC and I guess some people have gotten them graded and uh, I've autographed a few. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of crazy when I autograph them. I've got to send them in to Steve Grad to let him authenticate me. I say, Steve, it's me. (laughs)
1: it's good trust me steve
0: that'll be be 10 bucks yeah
1: Yeah, i saw this i thought you know i got i gotta have it it's right right up my alley as far as hobby history and all that goes so yeah very cool very cool i wanted to to share that with you and uh, with everybody out there so what's my market cap what's my market cap cap, i'll tell you I I, and I this card wasn't it wasn't cheap or free that's for sure but uh, anyway,
0: I, I want to see that on Card Ladder that it had yeah. the greatest price jump uh, from uh, so uh, Chris if you're listening yeah put me on Card Ladder for I, I should have jumped up a little bit yeah I mean, you did uh, the cards that you're you're covering
1: <laughs> I'll I'll upvote this one on on their submissions page for sure but I'll tell you I paid eighty dollars for it eighty bucks. And I, I'm, I think it's a pretty low pop, so that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, it's, it, it's it's your top's rookie, so it's 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 your rookie card. I thought, hey, I need that in my collection, and I will be taking delivery of that card uh, eventually. So I want I wanted to show that to you tonight. All right. Before I... All right. yeah. So okay, well, listen, uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining me this evening and joining us. We've had a very strong viewership. I want to. Thank everybody who's joined the viewing. We are going to listen. I've got a whole, there's a ton of comments that have come through. So I'm going to uh, take about 10 more minutes and stay on by myself here. We're going to let Dr. Beckett go and I'm going to run through some of these comments with you guys. And then in half an hour from now, I'll come back for the after-hours show on the same YouTube channel. My guest is Charles Hind, and we are going to be talking about some uh, card values before and after some big sales before and after the PSA 10 Wayne Gretzky sales so uh, again dr. Beckett uh, pleasure to have you and uh, we will chat soon
0: Jeremy if they've got questions for me if you uh, you know jot them down and next time I'm on I'm happy to address them you know if people want something from me or you and me to discuss a, a certain topic so I've enjoyed it I've enjoyed it keep up the great work uh, it's uh, fun and you're more than just hockey jeremy <laughs> yeah so it's, it's fun it's fun
1: well I, I appreciate it man i appreciate it and yeah i will uh, i'll put it out there to the to the hobby and see what they want to hear us talk about uh 2 weeks from now yeah. i do have some some bullet points for us to discuss in terms of what what's to come in 2021 we we touched a couple things tonight but not everything we will do that again 2 weeks today january the 9th same time same place everybody come back and see us then. Jim, I'll let you uh, let yourself out whenever you're ready.
0: I sure appreciate it, Jeremy. I'll see you in
1: two weeks and uh, have a good new year. Same to you, sir. Thank you so much. All right. So everybody, thank you. That was awesome. What a guy. What insights. I'm going to keep going though, because uh, there's tons of comments here and I just want to sort of scan them quickly. We'll see what we've got. And uh, I haven't looked at any for, it's been about 50 minutes. So I do apologize, but Bit of an exception for tonight. And again, in about uh, half an hour, I'll be coming back on the after-hour show. So uh, we had Orvi joining us. Great way to go. Jay, good to see you. Ziggy back in the house, Facebook user. I think I already saw some of these. Card shop dad. Hey, guys. You know, I'm going to go to the end of the comments and work backwards. That might be smarter. Oh, they're all, thank you, Dr. Beckett. What did he get? He has his doctorate in statistics, and he is a, a professor as well. Uh, rich says great segment you are welcome rich a lot of thank yous for dr beckett i'm glad you guys enjoyed it richard klein says i know who owns a sheet of the sheet of that set being the dr beckett card <laughs> Oz Car dead will you be offering fractional shares in the dr beckett rookie card jeremy uh no i'm gonna i'm gonna bulk purchase that and keep it all for myself Oz Car dad but hey you know maybe one day maybe one day we will see we will see uh, Texas card dude, glad you enjoyed it. Thank you for joining. BG says Michael Ham. Oh, sorry, that's a response to somebody else. What did he say? Sports card. I think the price companies will sell for will shock. That'll be very interesting. I am going backwards. This doesn't make much sense. Michael Ham said, if uh, if you're a card company and you don't own rights to a sport, you sell a less desirable product. I'm hoping for more competition in the hobby. We need it. Well, that's everyone's entitled to their opinion on um, on the licensing issue uh we do have brian gray in the room who does have uh does make cards uh hockey cards beautiful hockey cards unlicensed and you know works around it the best the best that they can and they put out a very a high quality product that has a lot of uh, a lot of fans a lot of very loyal collectors as far as i've seen around going backwards is a little bit confusing for me here in the comments but we'll just keep on going Brett C. With the bad experience I had with BGS, I did not plan on sending other, any other cards to BGS. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, people changing companies, uh, leadership changes, and strategies change. So perhaps um, wait and see how things uh, fall out over the next few months here. Rich Klein. From Beckett, it was Dr. Jim, me, Grant, Sanground, and Tom. That's who started, the, started Beckett Grading Services. Okay, guys, listen, uh, this is this is a little complex going backwards in terms of comments, but I do thank everybody for all your comments during the show. It was uh, it was very nice to have Doctor Beckett join me. So we're gonna sign off for now. Be back here in about 25 minutes, and we're gonna go with the after hour show. Should be nice, relaxing sort of relaxing episode. Wow, I'm just scrolling through comments, and there's hundreds of them, guys. So I apologize. I'd, I'd love to uh, love to have been able to integrate them into the show but I just wasn't, so I'm going to see if there's a couple here that I can still talk to before I sign off. Don't give Jeremy ideas to charge us for the show. No charging coming, Terry. No charging coming. How do you decide to grade a card with BGS or PSA, anyone? Really, it's a brand decision is what it comes down to, but check out the cards. You can see many of them online, Ryan says, "Do you think the price premiums of vintage opg over tops is sustainable?" I certainly do believe it is. I certainly do believe that they are sustainable. They've been that way for really since the beginning of time. I don't know why that would change. Terry says, "I think PSA is pricing themselves out." I'd rather put fifty towards another card than getting one great. Yeah, you're in the minority, Terry. Well, I think when it comes to a lot of cards, though, they're, they're not pricing themselves out. I, I do not agree with that. I think they are. Um, I think they still have a ton of business, and I think that we're going to see. Uh, the pricing change and I'm not I, I, in one direction or the other, but I think it will be, they will optimize the pricing. They will find that, that that sweet spot for the, for the hobby and for themselves. I believe they will. I think they're, I think the new leadership is going to be smart enough to make sure that that happens. I hope they do one way or another product allocation starts with the manufacturer pricing being so high for hobby boxes. Also, we need multiple authentication to stop the bots. Yeah. The bots are a whole other thing. That I've been hearing about not too familiar as someone who doesn't buy products online very often if at all all right guys good enough so listen that, that's it for now thank you everybody for joining I will be back as I've said five times already I will be back in 20 just over 20 minutes with Richard for after hours please join us then this was fun thanks everybody for joining it's been an awesome 2020 appreciate everybody watching appreciate your subscribership appreciate your your engagement during the show uh join the facebook group under the same name sports cards live over 600 members there come check that out follow me on instagram i'll put that up right there also follow the big three the big three hockey on instagram these guys showcase awesome cards on the regular here's my instagram twitter and the facebook group information if you care to follow me on socials that's where you can find that and of course Coming up a week today, Josh Johnson of Card Ladder, as we discussed with uh, Dr. Beckett, as well as Cardboard Chronicles, another great YouTube channel, will be joining me, followed by Dr. Beckett again, two weeks today. But in the meantime, that's it, guys. I'm out. Thank you for 2020. It was awesome. Really appreciate everyone's, just everyone watching and, and the encouragement along the way, really the encouragement, the support has meant a lot to me. And it's really helped to uh, bring better guests and uh, hopefully provide great content. So I appreciate y'all. We'll see you back here in 20 minutes. Good night.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.